Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Creating Portland, the podcast where we interview progressive artists that are helping shape the culture of our city and beyond. I am your host, Pearson Coons, and we are here today with Rebecca Alamo Gonzalez. She is a community advocate, a writer, an indie producer, and even a film programmer for the Portland Film Festival last year. And um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it with her and talk about this art scene. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so this is the question I start every podcast with, and it's okay. it's pretty big. And so you can take it as specific as you want or as big as you want and large as you want. But the question is, how are you, Rebecca, creating Portland? Oh, wow. Um, that... Hmm. Okay. Well, I think that the reason why I came to Portland is because I started binge watching a bunch of Portlandia. <laughs> and I know, I, I know that that has wow. its problematic things. Like yeah. I, I remember as I started to meet more BIPOC folks that lived in here and realized like how uh, it wasn't very inclusive and how it, it actually had some potential, you know, gentrification issues, like he contributed mm -hmm. to that. I would, I didn't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I was just coming at, from it as like, I was living in Florida, hating myself and just being like, why am I so weird? Uh, why doesn't my family understand me? And, and then I watched that and I was like, you know what? I, um, I think that the answer to how am I creating Portland is that uh, that spirit of like embracing yourself mm. and taking up space and saying it doesn't matter if I'm a little weird, like we're all a little weird and we're all gonna like benefit from it, you know, like I used to just worry so much about like, oh, is my accent passing? It's like, because mm. my mother tongue is Spanish and not English. Uh, or like, ah, uh, you know, I used to be so disconnected with my roots and I didn't like that when I would say, oh, I'm from Venezuela, people would like totally revert to the political thing. And it's mm. like, yeah, I know. I don't want to be there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think it's like, Portland has inspired me and the folks that I have seen in this scene have inspired me to be more uh, authentic. Mm. Um, and the equity work that I'm doing right now with Open Signal has a lot to do with that. Um, I've always been a very shy person. I mean, I love talking to people, but I don't necessarily love taking pictures of myself or like <laughs> people seeing me on video. And this census thing has been like, hello, <laughs> here I am. I'm going to tell you about all of these things that you're totally not thinking about that will affect you from here until the next 10 years. So it's really kind of pushed me to get out of my comfort zone um, in more ways than one. Uh, and I've met some really cool people that are doing like things like um, 
you know, thinking how you can incorporate ASL into the work that you do mm. or like how different people are going to perceive their your work if or other people's work if they're, you know, living with disabilities, if they're perhaps folks that are houseless or folks that have been marginalized and underrepresented, how to make it something that is not just like, uh, I don't know, that it's inspires trust that is something that is like casual it's a casual conversation it's not like i'm telling you what to do because as if i knew what i was doing like <laughs> i'm just like in this boat of life with you trying to do my best um so is is that a yeah so basically, I, I, I mean, yeah? from what okay. you're saying you're saying <laughs> you're creating portland by just showing up and being your authentic self which is just such a cool way of looking at it and i love that answer to that question um, yeah, wow, I'm inspired by that. And I, I'm sure our listeners are too. So, well, let's get more into like the nitty gritty logistics of how you're creating Portland with open signal. Okay. You mentioned, what does that, what does that work look like? How are you creating Portland through your work with open signal? Okay. So for the folks that don't know, open signal is a community, uh, organization that what they want to do is to empower folks to be able to tell their own stories. Um, you know, there is a history of underrepresentation and misrepresentation in the media. So we're trying to make it as cheap as possible for folks to be able to have access to cameras and equipment and studios. But then COVID hits and it's like, oh, how do we do this in a way that's safe for the people that come in and for ourselves? And that's been a struggle. Uh, so... I was actually talking with my supervisor about how uh, it's been really cool to be able to do so many census things that are kind of thinking outside the box. So it, it originally was just going to be when people came into the door, I was just going to ask them like, oh, have you taken the census? Mm. If not, here's a computer, here's a phone. Uh, let me explain you why this is important. But it turns out that that became impossible. So we started to create, try to think about things that we could do. And the project that we're wrapping up today and we've been working on for a month, um, it's about creating a collaborative video project um, that's also a raffle. So in one way, it supports, you know, each and every single person that will want to participate, um, but we're specifically inviting people that have been marginalized when it comes to the census. So BIPOC folks, people that are LGBTQIA, people that are uh, immigrants or speak a language different than English, uh, folks that are houseless, folks that live with disabilities, folks that live in rural communities, uh, anybody that has children under five. I didn't get any submissions with children under five, which is understandable, mm -hmm. but there's still what is called a hard to count population. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that the Census Bureau recorded or, or put them in a category because they were folks that um, had a harder time self-responding. And in mm -hmm. a way, that makes total sense because like this, the Census Bureau is a government agency and their approach to taking the census is like, you have to do this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to prosecute you if you don't. And it's like, technically you are supposed to, but they, I, we don't know of a case where people have been prosecuted for that. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, well, I guess I could 
start by explaining like why the census is important if you like i can go into that route but uh basically i work with this um my god i'm losing <laughs> i'm working with this campaign called weekend oregon and it's made up by uh black women we're the creators of it um and the whole narrative is like we don't want to make it we don't want to approach it from the fear we feel mm -hmm. like that's useless that's not helpful um it is also a right it's uh an empowering thing is that um to if included. you get to say yes exactly exactly mm. to say you know i am here and and going back to the same thing about showing up as yourself you know like i am here mm -hmm. and this and i'm mixed and this is this is my races and i am here um and you can't you you need to be able to fund the services that will support this community mm. um so that's the importance of the census of like well, it has many things. It's basically tied to the federal um, allocated funds that Oregon receives. And right now, the Oregon's budget is about a third of what of what we receive federally. So um, it's super important for our city to run the way it's been running. And it's actually been running a already undercounting certain populations. Mm -hmm. So if we don't want public services to become worse and less accessible if we want to make sure that there's a process called redistricting which means that when you say oh there's this amount of people in this in this neighborhood or in this district uh, but if um, if the majority of the people that fill out the census are white because they're more comfortable with it they're not so scared sharing their information with the mm -hmm. government um, and and people of color restrain if people that are, are lgbtqia and are really bothered and with very much within reason uh they the are bothered by the sex question mm. oh, yeah, uh, yeah. which is problematic and i can address that if you want to um or you know just like immigrants that feel like because the uh, language is residents of Oregon instead of like every single person mm -hmm. that lives here. Yeah, yeah. I am personally not a resident. I didn't think that I had to take the census. Um, you're so used to the fact that you're like second, you're not even a, you can't say second class citizen because you're not even a <laughs> citizen, right? So, um, okay, so. So then census. how does that connect to open signal? How does, okay, your, how thank does you. your artwork connect with your census work? Thank you, thank you. So uh, we the, the network of people that we support are producers, community producers. Okay. A lot of them are people of color. A lot of them are LGBTQIA. A lot of them uh, speak a language other than English. Um, and a lot of them are parents. So we were like, oh, we're in a central location and I'm okay. Like this, it just worked out to be a great place to be able to allow folks to come in and take the census and whatnot. But uh, because they're already interested in film, we were like, hmm, people are itchy. They're calling us. They're saying we want to, you know, use your equipment. We want to use the studios. And I was like, okay, well, most of us have a cell phone. And the people that have been connecting with us have been doing that through Zoom. So if we can design a video project that is very simple, something that is between 15 to 16 seconds that you can use your phone and you can use, you know, Zoom um, to send a, per a personal message about the census, then we're tying those things together. Like we're incentivizing people to 
keep this in their minds to remind the people around them to do it but it's also a creative way mm -hmm. uh to show up as yourself and to and to just like uh, express why it is important for you. And I've gotten some really good replies. I've gotten some from high school students, which are like, hey, we can't vote and we want to do, you know, a difference for our community. Uh, I've gotten some from uh, folks that were speaking in totally, you know, completely their own language. So we have a okay. Cantonese um, submission and, and we got a, um, what was it? Cantonese, and there was a. Sorry, I heard myself for a second there, <laughs> and that threw me off. Um, Cantonese, and uh, well, I forgot, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. People, it just their their language is now being counted. Their ethnicity is now being counted and included. Yeah, part of this conversation, which is so cool, and so right. you guys already had access to like a disproportionately large amount of BIPOC, queer, um, people of different identities than the sort of the mainstream Portland identity. And so you right. capitalized on that, leveraged it towards this sort of social activist cause through video, which is such a cool way of using video. Oh, thank you. And then, well, that's only half of it, really. The oh. other half was like, well, uh, there's, you know, our neighborhood is hurting because of COVID. Mm. Is there a way that we could support, you know, local businesses that are also BIPOC owned? So those are the prices um, that we've been selecting. And right now we have available, uh, there's one called Letra Chueca, which is a very cool studio. It's this Chilean uh, immigrants. Uh, they're really sweet. They're both women. Um, and their message is just so empowering for me as a Latinx person. They're, they kind of uh, do prints in Spanglish. So like have a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of English. Mm -hmm. uh, that is super empowering. We, we have some Spanish content in Open Signal and we have some uh, staff that is Latinx and we have like a demographic of that. And that's been working out, having that as an incentive. Also, we have Tamale Boy, which is this awesome, mm, really delicious. <laughs> uh, they're a food card, I believe, yeah. And they have um, a new location, well not new, but like they have a location on Decom too. Yes. Just a shout out to Malay boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, and then there's also Desi PDX, which is this really awesome, like oh, yeah. waste conscious uh, Indian food card. So, Yum. if if anybody that's listening would like to win that, you just need to uh, record yourself with your phone horizontally uh, because we want the aspect ratio to show on a TV. Uh, but you know, if you can't do it, we'll, we'll figure it out. We've been doing that. Um, and, or you zoom, like just record yourself as you were normally with zoom, uh, for between 15 to 60 seconds and just say why the census is important to you. And if you do that before 1159 today, you can be in the raffle to win one of those prices. So. Whoa, very cool. And when are those, when is this, when does this all come to a head? When are we stopping counting the census? That's a very good question. It actually, it has shifted all around. It was going to be August. Then it got extended because of COVID to October 31st. And then just recently, like a week and so ago, it got shortened to September 31st. Oh. So 
that's not good. It should have been, I think it August, you know, October, sorry, it would have been much better. Um, so we are kind of like, ah, uh, and um, Open Signal's not going to be able to be a CAC, which is a Census Assistance Center, mm. for too long. So that's why it's like, ah, uh, the raffle ends today. Uh, you know, get yourself counted right now. Uh, you can get counted by going to my2020census.gov or um, you can go into the Census Bureau website and then it has all information on how to fill it out in 52 different languages or how to take it in 13 languages. Nice. So, and over the phone as well. So, Okay, nice. Well, we'll make sure to link all of that information in the description of this episode because that is so important. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and that's just one of those things that you don't think about that often. It sort of seems like this far off distant thing. It doesn't happen very often. And so I see the totally see the importance of raising awareness for it with these uh, videos you're doing with Open Signal. So that's such a cool idea. So, okay, let's zoom out of that. Let's now look at Portland art in general, beyond the census, beyond the population. Let's look at the Portland art scene specifically. What are your thoughts on it? What's your perspective on the Portland art scene? What do you like about it? And what do you sort of not like as much about it? Where does it need to improve? Uh, well, I think I would say that the perception that people have that um, the Portland's a very white city uh, in certain film spaces is true. Mm -hmm. um, in the four film festivals that I've worked with, um, we always tend to get more um white focused films mm -hmm. um and you know i think that mostly recently due to the um, anti-racism work that has sparked you know all this protest uh, i think that those spaces are really kind of taking a harder look at themselves and seeing how they are possibly perpetuating you know, the status quo and how they can better support. Um, I think that there's many organizations in town that are doing like an amazing job and they, they didn't need, you know, the this protest to, to wake mm. up, like that they already knew that that was an issue um, and they wanted to address it. One of them is the Cooch Collective, which I think it's an amazing resource. Um, there's many aspects of it. First of all, it centers around supporting the female and non-binary filmmakers, not only in front of the screen, but also behind the screen. So mm. it's very empowering when you're in a, in a full room where like everybody there, um, uh, is just like very welcoming and very different and very themselves. Uh, not to say that, that, uh, more traditional, uh, sets are not like, are not ne are necessarily uncomfortable or anything, but it is it is jarring to see like wow every single person in this room is either a woman or a non-binary person like that's mm. odd. So, but it, odd in a good way. It's like mm -hmm. it's why rare. doesn't this yeah. yeah why didn't this happen more? Um, and I think that that is something to be excited about, like to know that that's a resource and that if someone that is listening, it's like trying to get into film and it's kind of new at it and would like to like receive mentorship, they have a mentorship program. Um, and I know because they've reached out to me a couple of times to support folks that wanted to be screen supervisors, mm. uh, but they have all sorts of different roles and they also host this very cool um, 
workshops that try to give more opportunity to like bridge those gender gaps in the industry. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, the things that I don't like as much is like, I think that whenever we have discussions about inclusion, we need to be able to look at it from also an equitable uh, perspective. I was invited to a very cool opportunity recently uh, where most of the audience was white and a lot of them wanted to know about like how to be more inclusive, which is obviously a really good sentiment. Like I like that. I like that they're willing to have that conversation, but still it felt like you know the invited speakers were uh three people of color including me and then two other folks who were already recognized in the industry you know they're cis white men uh mm. probably baby boomers you know like older gentlemen <laughs> who have had plenty of time to have a platform to speak their mind about things um and that's i'm not I'm not feeling bad about that. I think that it's just, it's not appropriate in a conversation about inclusion to just like speak more than the people of color. Mm -hmm. I think that if you are there, you should be able to realize that it's totally cool that you have questions. That's important, like ask questions, you know, especially if people accepted to answer them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It felt like they took most of the narrative to justify how they're doing very well, how they're, you In know, being inclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it could be worse, obviously. Like, it's, I feel about, like, when I think about the art that I was exposed to when I grew up in Venezuela, um, I... I started watching a bit of improv and like a lot of the humor is problematic and it's not inclusive and and it's very like very straight and very traditional this the country in general is like super catholic right so mm -hmm. in spaces where you would think that like art would be subversive it, it isn't as subversive as you I mean compared to here obviously you know so uh in that way, it's like, I think that because it's the West Coast and because we're Portland and because we're trying to be more inclusive, then that is going. But I think that there's still, you know, a long way to go for us to like fully feel like, oh, everybody really has an opportunity to be themselves and to show up as themselves. But what I took away from that uh, experience is that, wow, you know, like, even though sometimes it's scary, to say be vulnerable and talk about like how things are hard and how um, I sometimes don't finish screenplays because they're just it's it gets you in an emotional place where you're confronted with trauma and you're like mm. wow it's like hard to tap into that place so another really cool thing that I've noticed in the Portland art scene is that a lot of people that have had traumatic experiences or hard it's hard for them to tell their own stories reach out to people that are within their community that can support them so mm. that's what I'm doing for a friend of mine um which uh was abused by a police officer i think about eight years ago mm -hmm. and wasn't able to talk about that and it's a story that's also very topical right now yeah. but but at the time it was something that she felt like she couldn't really say personally so um in a way 
uh, she's giving me courage in like giving me her story to tell, mm. you know, and obviously she's involved. It's, it's kind of like a partnership situation. Like I considered us both the writers of the story because it's like, it's her life. She should be able to decide what things should be told and what things shouldn't. Uh, but because it is like triggering and I'm very uncomfortable for her to do that, um, she just gave me a bunch of evidence of her case and I've just been kind of putting things together and just wow. trying to consult with her as least as possible. So she feels the most comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and she shared that since we started that process, she's been more emboldened and more happy to talk about the situation. Um, and then also it gives me more confidence in myself, right? Because honestly, and I think that's important to say in spaces like this, uh, when we present ourselves as creatives, we always want to put our best foot forward and we always want to present as like, you know, like, like we are the professionals that we are. I think that there is a place where you can be professional, but also realize that we're human and that we make mistakes and that we don't have everything figured out. And that when you're a person that's been underrepresented and that has all these issues, you know, uh, with with showing up and taking up space, mm -hmm. it's hard to sometimes be able to confront that using art. So um, I just feel very inspired when I see people that are especially mostly either queer folks or LGBTQIA folks in general um, and women particularly women of color who are saying, well, no one, nobody is represented us correctly. So we're just going to, you know, like take the camera, we're going to do it ourselves. Yeah. And that is just very empowering to me. Like, I don't think I would be able to be the artist that I am if I were trying to pursue filmmaking in a different town. Like if I would have tried to move to California, for example, I think I would have burned out. I would have mm. been like, uh, just I hate the heat as well. So like it just wouldn't be the town for me. But here I feel like there's this nurturing of like um, when things are good and you know good and honest, they will take wings and they they will reach far away. You mm. know, um, Hollywood's not the only place where we can like say stories that will make an impact. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Wow. Oh, I got chills. That was so inspiring. I'm glad. I mean, I'm so comforted to know that you are feeling this level of support and this level of ability to be so authentic in your work in this city. And like you're saying, like from the outside, the city looks so white and so exclusive in a lot of ways. And a lot of that's being even more exposed right now with the movement that's going on. But it, I think it's a good reminder that there are those pockets and those support systems. And you mentioned the Cooch Collective that are doing the work to provide the support that artists like you need to share your voice with our city, which is what I love. Okay, so I guess my last question is, what's next for Portland art scene? What do you think, where do you think we're headed now after what you know of us as we are, and then we're obviously in this sort of cultural turning point of quarantine and the Black Lives Matter movements going on, all of these sort of things are happening. Where do you think we end up on the other side of this? Um, I think that the wonderful thing about pain is that it can really humble you. It really makes you think about things that you didn't consider before. So I've been hearing from people who 
used to be more, uh, I guess, less understanding or like more demanding when it came to creating art and creating it quick and making it good and like kind of like that capitalist mindset of like produce, 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 do, do, do. Uh, Are confronted with like, wow, we can't do as much. So what can we do that is meaningful? And I've been seeing organizations that are starting to like being open to pivot in ways that they've never had before. So I'm really excited because I'm going to be collaborating with Milagro Theater. And they, yeah, yeah, it's really, really new. And it's still kind of in the brainstorming phase. But what they reached out to me because they said that obviously we can't have a live audience. You know, we um, we need to be able to continue telling our stories because that's important for us. And they have been for 25 years doing a festival about Day of the Dead and they don't want to stop that. So obviously that's very important, but like this creative, I think that only good things can come up from what the quarantine has forced to do us to do is forced us to realize like, wow, unemployment and many and Medicaid and many other like public services, it's like, they're important for everybody. Mm. You know, it's like, um, I think it just, it, it makes us realize like, it doesn't matter, you know, um it doesn't matter necessarily i mean obviously there's the factors of like you're more likely to get sick if you may have more resources uh, less resources you know to make sure that you stay in good health but it seems like um you can get really sick from COVID, kind of like no matter who you are, mm. you know, and a lot of people dying It making it's making them realize like, oh, you know, like there's some people that have autoimmune diseases and have been wearing masks before it was like mandated. Mm-hmm. And it's like it makes you think about like how well if. It's not only about just you getting sick, it's about making other people sick because you may be a carrier of that disease. So like, I think that that mindset and what that's doing to the art and how people are like thinking more inclusively and it's like, mm-hmm. how can we make this something that like would stand more the test of time and could be more inclusive where maybe it's not just for the Portland audience, but it's something that could be in the internet for other people to see in other places. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I also see, I think it's important to say that many people have lost, you know, family members and, um, and that, you know, disproportionately, obviously folks that are of color and people that are hardworking, you know, working class folks, Mm -hmm. uh, are obviously super affected. I read some data that's really scary about like how, how, how reservations are being very affected by, uh, COVID in a totally like disproportionate way. Um, so I think that there, there needs to be a space to realizing, well, there is the exciting part of like pivoting and thinking in creative ways that we've never thought before, Mm -hmm. but also realizing, you know what, we need time to self-care. Like, you know, if your parents just died, if your neighbor just died, like, or, or your neighbor is sick, like, Mm -hmm. I love to see like this community fridges that are starting to happen or like this initiatives of like, you know, it's not so much about like, oh, you're proving to me that you really need this. It's like, oh, you know, like we all can use some food Mm -hmm. security. 
uh, we can all be like more respectful towards each other and like coming from Venezuela where people like touch you a lot and like they're very physical I kind of like the idea of like people being six feet away from me it's like you have your space Mm -hmm. and I have my space (laughs) yeah I think we're all gonna really need to heal as a city and as a world from what's happening right now and I think art's gonna definitely play an important part in that Oh, I guess the last thing I would say about that, I've been seeing a lot of, I mean, pre the, the, um, the raffle that I've, that I'm doing with OpenSignal, but before that, I have also seen lots of people that have been using like TikTok or just like tiny little short films on their phones, Mm -hmm. documented like how their family are driving them crazy or like, you know, like how they can't go out and then they need to do like dance parties at home, like, That's been kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of uplifting parts to the creative side of this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. You have just uplifted me so much too and made me feel so good about like (laughs) the direction we're heading, even though it's going to be so hard. I think it's, you're right. It is going to be so positive and much more collectively focused and much more inclusive and equitable. So that's so exciting for our city and for everyone. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Where do you, where can we find you online? Okay. So, um, I say that a good place would be to look me up on Instagram at R E B E, uh, lower, lower dash. Is that underscore, underscore, underscore rights. So that's Reby underscore rights. Okay. Uh, Ruby, because people call me Rebe instead of Becca okay. back home. So. Perfect. <laughs> well, we will definitely link that in the description along with the census raffle and just information about where to fill out the census with the work that Rebecca is doing. And um, yes, you can follow us at Creating PDX on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and we will see you next time. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye!